I Got It From My Mama with Beck and Sarge on Apple, Spotify and NHM NewcastleHunterMamas.com. Congratulations to Hunter and Newcastle Havel. They've just been awarded the best value medium SUV by Drive. There's no wait times across all their GWM showrooms. Three easy locations, East Maitland, Cardiff and Port Stephens. Anywhere you are, you're close to a new car. With Hunter and Newcastle GWM Havel. They also have the best value hybrids in the market. No wait times there either. NHM, I got it from my mama with Sarge and Emily Osler today um, from Grace Family Law. Em and I, we met at a thing called B&I. Now, if no one knows what that is, it's like a business networking thing. It's actually rather cool. Now, I live two hours away on a farm at the moment and I only come to work a few days a week in studio, so I can't go to it every week. But it's really funny. It's sort of like everyone gets up and talks about their business and then they help each other get business. Do you think... (laughs) What do you think of it, Em? It's pretty cool, hey? So... Years ago, initially, I thought it was a cult. Yeah, I know, because we all sit around like it's like, and like we all sit around. Yeah. I used to refer to it as a cult. Yeah. Or it sort of feels like a bit churchy as well. Like I used to go to church as a kid. Yeah, I used to go to church too. And it it, it feels a bit like that, like very ritual based and regimented. But I actually met some really nice people through it. Yeah. Made some really good connections with people. Yeah. And, you know, I sat next to Em and she's an absolute gun. Like, obviously, you're a lawyer and you are smart and talking for a living. But when everyone had to get up and do their little spiel, yours was always so fun and cool. And Because you only get, like, 45 seconds to talk and you do shit yourself a little bit. You go, oh, my God. (laughs) Especially, like, I can get a bit verbal dribbly and you're like, you want to get out about your business. So, yeah. So, well done on the BNI, babe. It's good to sit next to you. How do, you. Do you know one of the other things is you have to get up really early on a Wednesday? Yeah. Like it's like, and you have to go. And you take – because you're, you're the principal at your firm, yeah. right? And that must be really hard for you to get there all the time, but you seem to. Yeah, so you had to get up at like 6 o'clock to get there by 6.45. People that live further away like you, much earlier than that. So, yeah. it definitely was an early start, but – it was interesting because before that I wouldn't have said I was a morning person really, mm-hmm. but it actually got me into a really good routine of getting up early. And what I found was that I wasn't just doing it those days. I was doing it other days as well. And what you get done between six and nine o'clock is so much more productive than what you get done between nine and five. Yes. And d- no interruptions. You can get so much work yeah. done. You're so efficient at that time. I know. It's crazy. I Because I have my kids, like all my efficiency goes into them, which is not efficient because we're often missing the bus. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting because do you ever go, have those days where you're at work and then you go, oh, I'll do that thing after I get home? And then that thing is just like, no, nah. once you're in that door, if you have a wine or something, it's just like game over. It's not happening, eh? Yeah, yeah. watching Love Island can yeah. seem a lot more tempting than <laughs> doing what you were actually supposed to do and what you told yourself you were going to do. You know, you're like, where did that hour and a half go? Oh, that show. Yeah. So this is why you got to watch 20-minute shows. So yeah. I'm currently watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like the old school <gasps> one, yes. and the episodes go for 20 minutes. Yes. So it's the perfect like amount of procrastination time i love the retro tv vibe i was on dawson's creek for a while Mm, and it's really 
satisfying. Dawson's Creek was like the original like teen drama when yeah. I was very young yeah. and then after that it was like the OC. It was the iconic one. Yeah, 100%. Oh, God, showing my age. NHM, I got it from my mama. Coming up next, The Eras with Emily Osler. I got it from my mama with Beck and Sarge on Apple, Spotify and NHMNewcastleHunterMamas.com. NCR blinds are custom blinds, curtains and shutters. In Newcastle, New South Wales, they are one of the most trusted specialists in domestic and commercial curtains, blinds and shutters in Newcastle and the Hunter region. With over a century of combined experience in curtain making, they have become a one-stop shop for blinds, curtains and shutters for Newcastle residents and business owners. They strive for 100% customer satisfaction as they want you as a forever client. NCR blinds after separation parents need to determine several matters for their children moving forward some matters which need to be considered and decided are who will the children live with and what time will they spend with the other parent how significant decisions related to education and health will be made what involvement each parent will have in the children's health and education and how expenses and costs for the children will be shared Some matters are more complex, involving domestic violence, risk of harm to children, special needs the children may have, potential relocation of children and parental conflict. Get Emily Osler and Grace Solicitors on your side. gracesolicitors.com.au Newcastle. NHM, I got it from my mama with Emily Osler from Grace Family Law. Super stoked to have you on talking about the eras. You're a family lawyer, the principal of a family law firm, but Em's not really a normal, boring lawyer. She doesn't really come across like that. We've always had fun whenever I've seen you. And you, you, I have to give take my hat off to you, babe, because you support NHM. That's a huge community group for women. We've got 80,000 interactions per 30 days on that group of people helping women out. And it's often like really stressful things about their relationship or their kids and people feel open to share. So that's awesome. And I also know that you're a big supporter of um, Hunter Breast Cancer Foundation because, yeah, I was at an event with you there. And, um, yeah, so doing that ground-level work in community as well as what you do every day, very cool, babe. So nice work there. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very passionate about helping the community and giving back where I can, particularly in the areas that I'm most passionate about. So helping children, helping women, not just in family law, but in other aspects of their lives as well. So with their health and those sorts of things. And yes, like you said, I'm probably not your regular lawyer. I'm a cool lawyer. That's what I like to say. Um, I may not be everyone's cup of tea, but hopefully I'll be some people's glass of bubbles. (laughs) Tell us about your journey into the space and how it all happened. So I knew I wanted to be a lawyer when I was 13. Specifically, I knew I wanted to be a family and children's lawyer. Wow. If I wasn't a family and children's lawyer, I wouldn't be a lawyer. I'd probably work as like a social worker for the Department of Communities and Justice or something because I've always wanted to work with women and children, helping them, strengthening families and really doing comprehensive work to address the issues in society. But I don't have the personality to do some of the roles that come with that. So, for example, I don't think I'd be a very good psychologist. I'm a very practical person. I like when somebody comes to me with a problem, I like to be able to give them a practical solution and say, okay, you've told me X is your problem. If you do A, B and C, then you're not going to have a problem. And ironically, it's always 
ex that is their problem because it's always the ex causing the problems. <laughs> You're so funny. Actually, that's really interesting because I've noticed I'm a bit of that personality as well. Just recently with my partner, I noticed, you know, whenever he comes to me with like a business thing or something bothering him, I always like, I'll like dart a hundred solutions at him. And it's funny because they always talk about the woman as the nurturer, but I'm more of like that, the same as you, like that really proactive, okay, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. I've started giving him a hug sometimes now too. So (laughs) (laughs) that works as well. But um, yeah, so tell us about what you do in family law and yeah, tell us a little bit about your story. Because I know that when you're talking about it just then, you sound really passionate and that's really important. Yeah, so I own a law firm in Hamilton called Grace Family Law Solicitors. Uh, It's been open since about January last year. I've been a lawyer for about 10 years, working exclusively in family and children's law. Congratulations on doing your own thing. Big deal. Thank you. Yes, I've been doing it for about 10 years. I predominantly represent children and women, but we also do have a number of male clients. We represent parties in both parenting and property proceedings, as well as children's court proceedings. We do alternative dispute resolution as well as court litigation. My key, probably I would say, area that I'm most passionate about and do the most work in is litigated matters, so matters that are in court, but that's not to take away from the importance of dispute resolution as well. Okay, so tell us about what you wanted at the age of 13 and how it's playing out now and some of the stuff that you've done that you're proud of and... It sounds weird, but I've always wanted a world where my job wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. So I've always wanted a world where there wouldn't be issues of drug use. There wouldn't be children in risky, unsafe environments. There wouldn't be crazy high rates of family violence. And all of the issues that we're seeing presenting in society at the moment just wouldn't happen. But obviously that's not realistic. And so that's why I do what I do to try and do what I can about those issues. Okay. So what are the sort of mums, like what situations might they be in where they're going to need your help and how would you recommend, you know, they go about the first steps of whatever these situations are, especially like there can be a lot of advice for steps that they can take before they sit down with you, right? Yeah. So I would always recommend right when you are separating, that's when you first need to get legal advice. So a lot of people say, oh, we don't need legal advice. We're okay. We're amicable. We have an agreement. It's kind of like famous last words. Yeah. hundred percent. They say we have an agreement and then they tell you what the agreement is and you're like, okay, that's great. But pragmatically that's not going to work because you haven't considered what's going to happen when the kids start school. The times that you've set out for them to spend with the father simply aren't going to be practical or they have agreed to something that their ex-partner wanted and they've just gone along with it so as to not cause problems. Oh, I've seen that from so many. And try and not many, cause conflict. Yeah, of my friends. And it's just, it ends up to be really sad. Because, and it's often not something yeah. that's in the kid's best interests. Yeah. And it's often something that is only going to cause more problems and bigger problems down the track. So it's really important that parties get advice as soon as they separate. And it's really important that both parties get advice. So there's no good one party getting advice. The other party needs to know not necessarily what their rights are because I always say kids have rights and adults have responsibilities, but how things work and what needs to happen, what their obligations are, and when it comes to a property settlement, what they're entitled to. And it's important that people know those things from the outset. 
once they've obtained that advice, then they do need to make a decision about whether they're going to instruct a lawyer. As I said, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but if I am your glass of bubbles, then by all means, let's let's do this together. I'm really passionate about helping people take the right step forward. So, and that's the slogan of my business. Clients will often say, oh, you know, you give very, very blunt advice. And I say, yes, I do, because I'm not here to try and tell you what you want to hear to make you feel better in the present. I'm trying to tell you what you need to hear to help you move forward to the best of your ability in the future. So people accept some what you say dodgy deals that, you know, they shouldn't. A lot of women just to uh, keep the peace or whatever or they think they're doing the right thing. Uh, what are some other areas where you say you see people fall over? I, I heard from friends that it's a good idea possibly if you can to stay in the house rather than moving out you know a lot of women just want to move out um, immediately but that's not in your best interest according to the law sometimes not necessarily it it depends on what your ultimate goal is I mean if you want to retain the house then yes you should try and stay in the house in the short term but you've also got to think about what's realistic and what's going to be in your best interest in the long term not just the short term so You might think that staying in the house is a great idea in the short term, but realistically, can you do it? I mean, we've just had another interest rate rise. Can you afford to service a mortgage that was previously being paid by two incomes on one income? Yeah. If you can't afford that, then it might be better to to make that move earlier rather than later. So it's not a one size fits all sort of thing. It's not. And when you talk about the children a lot, what are the main factors you see at play for the kids like obviously I know a lot of the times in separations when I separated with my partner a long time ago we were thinking about each other and the split sort of thing and we did try and do the best for the kids that we could at the time but yeah to have someone there who's going hold on guys this is what's best for the kids you might not necessarily know no I see and it's really really sad to say this but I see risk risk and more risk Mm. so Not only do I represent adults, I also represent children in both family law and care and protection proceedings. And I see so much risk posed by things like drug use, family violence, unmanaged mental health, physical harm to children, even sexual harm to children. Things that people think only happen in the movies or, oh, that's, you know, the very small minority of society. That's not regular people. Unfortunately, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. very uncommon to see a parenting application filed in the court that doesn't have any risk in it. Yeah, I know that from friends that have separated. And when you talk about, yeah, so a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's been this split and then, you know, it affects people in different ways, right? And then this behaviour comes to the fore. Yeah, so it's often behaviour that was present during the relationship, but what happens after separation is there's often increased conflict and it's really quite escalated. And sometimes it's people not realising the impact that that can have on the children and not realising the negative consequences that it can have. Exposure to conflict and that sort of thing can affect children, not just in terms of making them upset or distressing them. It can actually affect them psychologically, which impacts their development. It role models to them unhealthy attitudes and unhealthy relationships and unhealthy worldviews and then that can turn into them participating in those unhealthy behaviors as they get older so when you've seen the best situation of separations and it's been guided well by you know mentors like you and your colleagues 
How has that looked different from a really bad case? Yeah, so when there's two good lawyers involved, it generally minimises the emotion involved in it because parties come to family law thinking about what they perceive has been done wrong to them. Yes. And they come in a very emotional state, a very escalated state, and that's completely understandable. I mean, I would probably be the same in their situation, but you're not going to get the best outcome if you're thinking with your emotions because often emotion-driven decisions aren't actually what's best for people. Yeah, which we always know, you know, when you have a fight with your partner or your colleague, you're best to go and have a walk and think about it before you shoot your mouth off. Yeah. I'm telling myself that, but I've done the opposite many, many times. And look, I mean to laugh, but God, I should have learned by now. Sometimes the best place to take that walk to is a lawyer's office just to get some advice, get get a different perspective, and then they'll take on a lot of that communication for you. I mean, I always say to my clients, try not to involve lawyers in the day-to-day things. Like, we're not going to be here forever to tell your ex what time he needs to pick the kids up from soccer. Yeah. You're not you're not going to be able to afford to pay me to do that until yeah. the kid turns 18. So try and negotiate the little day-to-day things yourself. But the big issues, leave that to us. We'll sort that out for you. And it really does help people because then they just need to focus on the day-to-day things and the here and now. Yeah. And what sort of arrangements have you seen with kids that you think work the best after separation? It really depends on the level of safety. So I've seen cases where no time is the only option because there is no amount of time that could ever be safe. But in a situation where there's very low or no risk, I would say that what I call the five-night or fortnight arrangement works quite well. So the children live primarily with one parent and then spend five nights a fortnight with the other parent. That could either be five consecutive nights or it could be three nights over a weekend and then two midweek nights. That works really well because it keeps the children in a stable home base but it allows them meaningful and substantial time with the other parents so they don't lose that connection. And it also keeps both parents involved with the school or daycare. I've heard people say before, because it's really popular these days, the 50-50, you know, people are talking about, well, the mum should have the same time as the dad. It's really common these days too, the 50-50, isn't it? But you're... Yeah. Look, you would think it is, but it's yeah. not. And I'm, oh, not a, really? I'm not a fan of the shared care. I okay. think it's difficult for children. Yeah, okay. Because um, you're talking about that. Because the most important thing for a child is to be safe and feel safe, right? And that's love. right. Yeah. That's right. To be physically and emotionally safe. And there's actually been quite a big shift in family law in the last few years. So it's kind of what I like to call the eras of family law. I remember when I first started practicing 10 years ago and there was something called the presumption of equal shared parental responsibility, meaning that unless there's risk or violence or it's for some other reason completely unsuitable for the parents to both jointly make decisions for the kids, they should both jointly make decisions for the kids. And what flowed from that was that the court, if they made that order for equal shared parental responsibility, they were then required to consider whether there should be a shared care arrangement, generally in the form of the week about arrangement where they live with one parent one week and the other parent the other week. That's changed a lot and there's been a shift away from that. And there's actually some new reforms coming into effect, which removes the presumption of equal shared parental responsibility And when making parenting arrangements puts the sole focus on the best interests of the children. So what arrangements are going to be in the best interests of the kids as opposed to what arrangements are perceived as fair and equal for the parents? Yeah. 
Which you think is a good thing, right? Yeah, I'm very in favour of putting the focus on the best interests of the children. That's where I've always put the focus, irrespective of being told that the court needs to consider equal shared care or whatever. Obviously, there are difficulties with removing presumptions of equal shared parental responsibility because the court has no starting point. But Yeah, what other changes have you seen talking about the eras and how are things different now than they were in the old days? I mean, in the 70s, a woman couldn't have a checkbook without her husband's permission. That's, that's true, and people used to get private investigators to run around and take photos on really old cameras of people having affairs so they could get divorced. Oh, really? Is that true? Look, so I've heard. I, I, I wasn't alive back <laughs> I used then, to see so it in movies, say, yeah. But so I've heard. Yeah. I've, I've certainly not seen any um, weirdly hidden people with large cameras around <laughs> since I've been a family lawyer. So. And you might after the podcast. Look, you never <laughs> know. Low. You never know. <laughs> right, so what else apart from the presumption of shared care house things change? So I remember when I first became a lawyer and I remember one of my first ever court appearances there was this judge, she's, she's since retired, but she was phenomenal. Her name was Judge Terry. And she was a force to be reckoned with, but in the best possible way. And I remember I needed to ask her for an interim hearing date. So an interim hearing's where you get some, I guess what you would call short-term arrangements for the kids until the matter can finalise or go to final hearing. And I said, oh, well, I, I need an interim hearing date in this matter. She looks me dead in the face and goes, 4pm, Miss Osler. Oh. I said, sorry, you're on a 4pm on what day? And she just looked at me and said, 4pm. And that's when I realised that she literally meant 4pm that afternoon. I said, oh, oh, you mean today? She said, you wanted an interim hearing, Miss Osler, you've got one. Well, that's how we used to do things. It would all just be done on the fly. And I actually quite liked it because it really prioritised safety. You weren't waiting weeks for an interim hearing to get children out of dangerous homes. Yeah, okay. It was happening that afternoon okay. and there was going to be a changeover at five o'clock and it, it really did prioritise the urgent matters, but that has changed somewhat and there was a merger of the two courts in 2021. So the Federal Circuit and the Family Court, which were two separate courts initially, that both did family law merge to make one court and it has become a lot more rules-based. So there are a lot more rules that have to be followed and guidelines that have to be complied with. I'm a bit of a, do you know Harry Potter at all, like the Weasley yeah, twins? Yeah. They don't really like rules. I'm a bit of a Weasley twin when it comes to rules and I'm kind of like, oh. they would say rules get in the way of good fun. I say sometimes rules get in the way of keeping children safe. So I'm not the biggest fan of rules, but it definitely has become more rule-based in terms of there's a very clear process and procedure now that we have to follow. So everything seems to take forever It does in these situations. And look, yeah. the one good thing, well, there's a few good things, but one of the main good things about the new system is that it does shorten that time. So instead of matters lingering through the court system, they do resolve on a final basis a lot quicker. So while you might be waiting for an interim hearing for a few more weeks, once you get past that and you're tracking along to final hearing, the matters do resolve quicker. So it's designed to have matters resolved within ideally 12 months of being filed, which is much quicker than it used to be. And it is good in that there's a, a clear process. So back in the golden days or that era of when I first started, you never really knew exactly what the trajectory was going to be because it was effectively up to the judge to decide on the day. Now there's a clear process that we follow. So you file your application Usually, if it's a parenting matter, the child impact report, which is 
an assessment by a social worker or psychologist about what arrangements would be good for the kids. Then there's an interim hearing after that. Do they chat to the kids about that? They do, yeah. yeah. So they meet with the parties and the children. And sometimes they'll even do like a short observation with the children with each parent. Okay. And then there's an interim hearing to work out those short-term arrangements. Then generally, if it's appropriate in the matter to do so, there'll be a mediation. If the matter doesn't settle at mediation, you do a family report, which is a much longer version of the report with the social worker or psychologist. There might be a second mediation after that. And if your matter still hasn't settled, then you're going to go to a final hearing. So there's a really clear pathway to explain to clients and it does give parties a lot more certainty of how things are going to work. Yeah. That's the uh, the rules era, as I would call it. Or well, the other name that I like to call it is the dispute resolution era, because in that came a real big push for parties to try and resolve their matters through dispute resolution without having to go to court. I think there's some really good aspects of that, and I think there's some difficulties with that as well. Look, with mediation, it does keep the control of the outcome with the parties. If you go to court, it's left with a judge who doesn't fully know you or your children or your circumstances. But they're super intelligent and they've seen a lot before, right? That's right. And mediation is only the answer in certain cases. So there are some cases where you could never realistically mediate it because the risk is just far too high and there's no agreement that could ever be made at mediation that would ever be suitable. I think... Pushing people too hard to settle matters can cause people to be hesitant to commence court proceedings and some matters do just need to go to court. Not to say that after you've gone to court it can't settle, sometimes you just need to file the application and get the information. Through mediation there's a lot of information that you can't obtain. So you can't issue subpoenas to get records from the police or child welfare or hospitals or psychologists. But once you go to court, you can do that. You can't get the comprehensive independent reports from the experts, like a child impact report or a family report, through the mediation process. There are some systems to help with that. So you can have like child inclusive mediation where you have a social worker involved in the process to give some advice. But it's really a matter of working out which pathway is going to be best for this matter. There is generally a requirement to try mediation unless it wouldn't be safe due to risk or family violence. But when thinking about who you're going to appoint as, a, as your lawyer, it's really important to pick somebody who family law is what they do. Yeah, who knows it. Yeah. Because it's completely different to any other area of law. Yeah. So it's all good and well to you know, have a look on websites or the socials and see that people are posting about, you know, the newest thing in mediation and think, oh, that's going to be great for me. But you really need to actually take the time to get some advice from a family lawyer. Make sure that it's somebody that you're going to be comfortable with for a long-term journey because it might not be one day in mediation. It might be 12 months in court. So make sure it's someone that you're going to feel comfortable with and make sure it's someone that if the matter can't go to mediation or it doesn't resolve at mediation, that's someone that's going to be able to represent you in court as well. Yeah, okay. Cool. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you advice you have for people? I know it's a very broad spectrum because people are at all different journeys, you know, parts of their journey in terms of like a breakup or maybe, you know, a few years down the track. Do you have any general advice for people? Yeah, I think... There's a few things that I would say. There's absolutely no shame in seeking help. And I don't just mean legal help. If you're struggling with the separation or the process, it's really important to get some support from a psychologist or counsellor. Yeah, it's real. I think it's really common for both parties, really. Mm-hmm. And there, there might be a lot of it just in terms of saving face, mm-hmm. where you they just don't want to admit that they 
are struggling. Yeah. And admitting it is the best thing you can do because it's going to help your kids. But I've been there before, you know, trying to keep all the balls in the air, having the breakup, having small kids, Mm. trying to meet every every work deadline as well. Mm. It's absolutely harrowing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also important to, if you have a property settlement, to get some financial advice. Lawyers aren't accountants. Okay. And we can't give you tax advice. We can't tell you what's going to set you up for the future financially. So it's really important to yeah, because you were saying you yeah, you might get the house, but can you really afford to yeah, keep it? Yeah, exactly. Especially at the moment with all the interest rate exactly. And I think the the most important thing is to just keep the focus where it needs to be. So the focus isn't on the conflict between the parties. The focus is on the best interests of the children, and the focus needs to be. Yes, what happened in the past is important and it has to be considered. Previous family violence, drug use, all of those things absolutely has to be considered. But thinking, okay, we know these things happened in the past, but how are we going to move forward in the future in light of those things? So always always forward thinking. Yeah, and I think we do get bogged down, don't we, in the past? And, yeah, especially with a family being ripped apart, it's so hard to... Yeah, to let that go. But to have that third brain of someone who's objective is probably, yeah, just so important at that time. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's just really important to get someone who knows the process. So Mm. whether it's somebody who wants to talk about it in terms of ears because they're a big Taylor Swift fan or (laughs) not, just get someone who knows the process. Yeah, and get someone, as Em says, that you like and you Mm -hmm. get on with because it's going to be... A bit of a journey, probably. Thanks for your time, Em. Thank you. I got it from my mama with Beck and Sarge on Apple, Spotify, and NHM Newcastle Hunter